how you guys doing? Good. I know that a lot of people are traveling uh, this summer, but I just want to uh, extend my welcome to all of you in the house. Amen. Uh, I was supposed to fly to Pittsburgh uh, last night, uh, but uh, it turns out that I have to uh, preach this morning because uh, some of you may have known our ministry partner, Southeast Asia Prayer Center, Pastor JP and Pastor Matt Gepard and their friends. Today, at, actually at this moment, uh, they are gathering in the stadium in Pittsburgh where more than 10,000 people are coming together to pray for, uh, for the cities, for the nations, uh, and for, for revival. So please extend your prayer for them. Uh, stand together in the gap of this generation together with them in Pittsburgh um, and uh, and I know that God is moving in this nation. Amen. Uh, I want to extend my welcome once again to those of you who are new. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome home and I hope that this can become uh, your home church where you can build your community. So this summer, we are going to stay for the next uh, several weeks in the sermon series called Jesus and Culture. Okay, where we will talk through questions such as, how do we stand firm in our faith in an environment like this, right? How do we live in the truth, in the, in the culture of compromise? How do we love others well where there are so many hates around the world? Uh, and so these questions truly create an urgency for us Christians to find our, our true north and to find and to stand in God's truth to be able to maneuver and navigate through the process of loving this, this, uh, this society, even though there are so much hatreds, right? Uh, and, and we want to talk about uh, some of the cultural things uh, over the next several weeks. And I hope that this will teach you how do we respond? How do we navigate through the, the areas in our lives that might not be as clear-cut or as black and white, right? So today, my sermon title is called Jesus and the Gray Area. How many of you know what are the gray areas, right? So I want to say, there are a lot of gray areas in our lives. I'm not going to cover all of the gray areas, but I want to give you some examples of the gray areas in our lives that I hope that from today's uh, preaching or from today's teaching, you'll be able to navigate how to navigate all these gray areas in our lives, right? How many of you love to travel? Can I see some hands? All right, yeah, there are more than half of you love to travel, right? I, I like to travel specifically if, uh, to travel for, for family vacation. I don't like to travel for business, yeah. Um, but now my role, I, I have to travel a lot. Um, not my favorite, but I love to travel for vacation, right? Uh, I'm, we're going to Hawaii in, in a couple of days here. Uh, I love the traveling, but I hate the airport. How many of you can agree with me, right? Uh, I still remember this happened like many, many years ago. Uh, disclaimer, maybe some of you weren't even born yet. Uh, I, was, I was waiting in line at a TSA line, you know, and, and TSA line was so long in the early 2000s, right? Uh, some of you might have heard what happened to the United States in early 2000. Uh, there was a terrorist attack, right? 9-11 happened. And after 9-11 happened, um, you know, TSA changed their rules. And so there was a long line. And, you know, uh, to those of you who know me when I, in the late 90s, early 2000, uh, I'm a big fan of Starbucks, right? Uh, I love Starbucks. I work for Starbucks. Uh, and and I, I carry that brand, right? Uh, and so whenever I travel, I love to drink coffee. You know, I was waiting in line for an hour uh, in the TSA line. And then suddenly the TSA officer said, you, throw your uh, venti latte. 
no, it's, it's expensive. But they said, no, you cannot bring it through the security point. You have to throw it. I never know that. How many of you know that prior to 2001, you can bring any sorts of drinks through the security lines, but now I didn't know I have to throw. So to cut the long story short, with a lot of hesitation, with a lot of grudging, I, I throw my venti latte, right? $5, gone. <laughs> but it, do you guys know that it turns out that at that time, the Al-Qaeda terrorists was using liquids to create bombs. And they will try to smuggle those liquid into the airplane and they use it to bomb an, air, an airplane. In fact, um, in 2006, an, a U.S. intelligence found proof that Al-Qaeda terrorist group plotted to bring down planes using liquid explosives. At one point during their surveillance, investigators witnessed uh, Ali, a radical terrorist, drill a hole in a orange soft drinks bottles so that they could be filled with explosive liquids while still appearing to be unopened. Listen, if their plan had to go through successfully, the CIA director at that time, Steve Hersham, said that the result could have been an explosive attack on seven airplanes flying out of London to North America, causing hundreds or maybe thousands of people could have been dead because of this happened. And therefore, after that, that incident, or after the surveillance found, then the CIA and the TSA, they banned liquid uh, from entering and passing through the, uh, the security line. So now, I'm getting smarter. You know, I don't bring any liquid. I understand that this sacrifice is for the safety of myself and for others, and I'm willing to just sacrifice that. So what I did now, this is kind of my, my secret, is that after I passed the TSA line, uh, in, especially in SeaTac Airport, they have Dilettante Cafe. So I, I just looking forward, you know, when I wait in the TSA line, I'm just looking forward to go to my Dilettante Mocha Cafe. So just to give you some idea. So let me ask you, is this rule convenient for us? No. Is this rule fair? No. <laughs> right? Why can I bring my favorite drinks now into, into the security line, through the security line? But because now we understand the why, and this is for the safety, not only for myself, but for others, we are willing to give up our rights and our convenience for the sake and benefits and safety of other people and also for this nation. Correct? So those sacrifices need to be made. In the Message Bible, it states this even so clearly. It says this, looking at it on one way, you could say that anything goes. Actually, you know, there's nothing wrong bringing those drinks, right? Because of God's immense grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action. The point is not to just get by, but we want to live well. We want to be, uh, to thrive instead of just survive. So our foremost effort should be to help others live well. We as Christians, when we are called to be set apart by God, we are not to just get by in our lives to survive, but you are called to bless others. That's our calling as brothers and sisters, right? So when navigating these gray areas, we should always value other safety, well-being more than our own. We have to take an other-centered approach rather than a self-centered approach. I know it's kind of hard in this generation to talk about other people because it's all about me, 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 right? How many of you, listen, 
I know some of you are like, oh no, I'm not that selfish, Pastor. Come on. When we take group pictures, listen, when we take group pictures, who do you search for first in that photo? There you go. Right? <laughs> I still remember sometimes I took a selfie or I took photos. Uh, a couple of my friends said, let me take a look first before you post it on Instagram. I said, oh, why? He said, because I want to make sure that I look good. I don't care about you, but I need to look good. <laughs> so from there onwards, I learned. Whenever people take picture, I want to approve first. I want to make sure I look good. I don't care about you. Just kidding, guys. So we need to take the approach of other people, right? We are not self-centered, but other-centered approach. Um, today's, culture, we always assert, uh, today's culture, we always assert and always ever emphasize about freedom. Freedom to choose. Freedom over my life. Freedom to do whatever I like. But how many of you know that freedom is not found in all of the yeses, but oftentimes freedom is also found in the noes. To be able to say no is also freedom. I know it's kind of oxymoron, right? But let me give you a, an example, okay? Because our ability to say no to certain things is the evidence. Listen, it's the evidence you are not slave to it. For example, if you cannot say no to drugs, then it tells us or it tells you that you are slave to those drugs. So freedom can sometimes and oftentimes be found in the nose. Are you a person that has the ability to say no? Those things that you have the ability to say no, then you are not slave to it. Okay? For example, another example. If you cannot say no to alcohol, then you know that you are slave to it. I still remember many years ago when I was still serving in, uh, in Everett. Uh, there is this, uh, by the way, when I was serving in Everett, very funny story, okay? I was 25 years old. I was single. I became a pastor when I was single. 25 years old, serving a 50, 60, 70, 80 years old congregation. Okay? God has a sense of humor, okay? Uh, 25 year old pastor, single, I have no girlfriend. And sometimes I have to counsel husband and wife who have been married for 15 years, 20 years for their marriage. There's a couple of times where they, they, the wife is yelling, like, Pastor, you didn't want, come, come now. You know, I'm, I'm having an issue with my husband. I have to drive up to Everett about 45 minutes. Can you imagine being a single 25-year-old pastor? I'm like, oh my God, this is a joke. What can I tell them to advise them about their marriage problem? Okay, I enter into their house. I still remember it, the, the door was half open. So as I went in, the, the pots and pans start flying over my head. <laughs> so, poof, poof. I was like, and one of the incidents, is that the, the wife was complaining to me that the husband has been drinking every day. Okay? Has been drinking, not water, guys. Alcohol. Okay? <laughs> I know. Some of the Christians like, why? What's wrong with drinking water every day? No, no. Alcohol every day. And she was concerned because she felt like the husband was an alcoholic. Okay? And here I am, 25 years old guy, saying, hey, uncle, you have to be careful when you drink alcohol because you could be addicted to it, you could be slave to it, and you could be uh, you could become an alcohol alcoholic. And he said, no pastor, there is nothing wrong with drinking in the Bible. That's correct. 
There is nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. However, if you become slave to it, then you could ruin your family. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Pastor, I'm not an alcoholic. He said, and, if you, and the Bible said, if you get drunk out of alcohol, that is sin. Okay? Drunkenness is sin. Okay? He said, be drunk with the Holy Spirit, but don't be drunk with the alcohol. He said, oh, Pastor, no. Even though I drink one bottle a day, I never get drunk. I'm still very conscious. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm clueless too. I'm like, okay, this guy drink every day, a bottle a day, but did not get drunk. Okay. But then the Lord gave me a revelation to speak to his life. He said, but like this, uncle, what if I ask you today, starting tomorrow, don't drink. He got so mad. Okay. He was so and then he, he started yelling at me. I'm his pastor. He started yelling at me. And then I say, you don't have to yell at me. The fact that you start yelling at me when I ask you to just stop drinking, that tells me that you are a slave to it. Even though you don't think that you are drunk. So sometimes these gray areas, I know it's kind of hard to maneuver. It's like, oh, this is my case. That is my case. One cup is good. Two cups is good. One bottle a day is good. It's not about one cup, one bottle, or two bottles, okay? It's about the heart. Are you slave to it? Because if you are slave to it, I'm sorry to say, you have lost your freedom. You guys understand that? Well, we talk about, about uh, alcoholism uh, or addiction. Let me give you some early signs of people who are addicted, but you do not recognize it. And I hope you can help this too. If you have friends, if you have close friends, even if you have family members that show these early signs of an addiction, please find them help before it's too late. There are so many places that can help you. You know, there's counseling sessions here. There is treatment centers that, that can help you. Or maybe, uh, you know, myself or Pastor Kisma, we can lay hands on you. Some of you might have spiritual influence over all these substances. Talk to us. We can help you. These are the early signs, okay? Number one, you cannot go long without it. And this addiction can be, can be anything. It can be alcohol. It can be uh, drugs. It can be pornography. It can be gambling. Anything, okay? That can be slave to it. It's the early sign is that you start slowly not able to get out of it. You want it. You long for it. And you cannot go on without it. That's one more early sign. Number two is that when you, go, when you go out or when you live your life, you are always thinking about it. Okay? Sometimes I have to check myself because I might be a slave to caffeine. Okay? I can fast, but caffeine could be a problem for me. So sometimes I have to check. I want to make sure that I enjoy caffeine and not a slave to caffeine. Okay, this can be anything, okay, guys? This can be anything. Number two and number three is that alcohol, drugs, pornography, or even caffeine become an escape to your problems. So when you are stressed, when you have significant problem, where do you run to? If you run to those substance, then that is an early sign that you are a slave to that substance. Okay, so hopefully this will give you some understanding and guide you through this process. If your husband, your wife, your children, your, your you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or your cousin, your, your roommates have these signs, get them help. Okay, because you want to help them 
for the safety of others. Not for yourself, but for others. So I want to share with you a, a story, that, a teaching from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So today's text will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's a, it's a Paul's teaching to the church of Corinth. And let me give you some background or some context of the church of Corinth, okay? The city of Corinth was a hub of trade routes, completely surrounded by water. So it has a lot of similar similarities to our beloved city of Seattle, okay? So Corinth, Seattle, quite the same. A lot of trades, a lot of businesses. It's by the ports, by the water. Uh, it was a very liberal, liberal city too. It's a marketplace of the world. Uh, it's, it's selling uh, fine fabrics, gold, silver, a lot of uh, commodities that are being traded in the city of Corinth. A uh, very wealthy town, a lot of sailors that come in and out of the ship uh, from long hours of work with fat paychecks, you know. Uh, and a lot of these employees, when they come into town, they, they are looking for parties, they want to get drunk, they want to sleep with women. Uh, it's a very corrupted uh, city, okay. Corinth was so corrupted, it was so uh, worldly, that when people want to cuss other people, they, they will use the word Corinth. You Corinth! That means it's like you, beep, like that bad, you know, the city of Corinth. Thank God I wasn't called that way. You Seattleites. It hasn't got there yet, okay? Hopefully not. We are praying for it. Unfortunately, listen to this. Unfortunately, the churches in Corinth were also starting to reflect the city's characteristic and culture. So the culture of the city, the worldliness of the city, the, the liberals of the city enter into the, into the church. And the church behavior and characteristic is almost similar to one outside of the, the church building. So the, the, the church was becoming compromising and was creating idols of their own inside the church. And the big problem is because of the situation, the church was unable, listen to this, my brothers and sisters, the church was unable to fulfill its purpose to preach the gospel into the city. Because people couldn't identify the, the, the followers of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus versus the non-disciple. They all look the same. And then the church lost its effectiveness. I don't want this church, I've just Seattle, to lose its effectiveness to the city. We want to be a church that stands in the truth to speak hope into the city. Correct? Because the, the city can create all sorts of laws and regulation to, to try to beat people into behavior. But the church is going to be the one that transforms the heart of the people through the gospel. And therefore, we need to be careful. Okay? So let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, I want to I wanna read. Let's read, okay? There are about 13 verses here. Uh, and listen, even though Paul was talking in the context about food sacrificed to idols, actually the teaching today can be used for any sorts of slavery, can be used for any sorts of gray areas, okay? So let's, let's read First, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. It says, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, again, even though Paul is teaching in the context of food, but we can use it in different areas of, of our lives, okay? Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. So the Christians in Corinth, they know about this issue, okay? 
while knowledge make us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. It is good to have knowledge, but it is even better and more important if you understand love. He says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. It's not about the knowledge or your theology or what you study, but it is about your love for God. So, what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god. That there is only one God. The Christian, no. Of course, there is no other idols. There is no other God than our Lord Jesus. They know that their theology is correct, right? And he says this. Uh, they may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, but some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created. And for whom we live, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Listen, their theology is correct. They have a correct understanding of the scripture. However, not, this, I'm still reading, okay. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak conscience are violated. It's true that we can win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. That is key. Okay? Yes, sometimes these gray areas is okay, right? Some, sometimes, I, I still remember, this is a, a, a while back, uh, I was talking to this young man. He was barely 18 years old, and he was taking marijuana, okay? And he was arguing with me that marijuana is now legal. Yes, it, the city's law allow marijuana to be consumed, correct? <laughs> it's legal. I, I don't know how, what age is marijuana legal? Any one of you know? Is it 18 or 21? 21, right? Yeah, yeah. Any, anybody consume above 21 is legal. The question is not whether it's legal or, il, or illegal. The question is, does your freedom cause you for others to stumble? That's the main question. He says, for if others see you and with your superior knowledge, meaning that you are already a Christian, you know the truth, you know the scripture, Eating in the temple of an idol, when they be discouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? But because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer or another believer that's new in Christ will be destroyed too. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So that if, I, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Okay, again, this only talks in the context of food serving to idols, right? Listen, I came, you guys, some of you know, I came from a very strong, solid uh, Buddhist family. 
three, four generation Buddhist family, okay? When I became a Christian, I was having a hard time because my entire family hates me. They said that I, I came to America, I was brainwashed by the Western religion and all that stuff. And one of the things that I commit myself is that I don't want to worship idols. And as, if, if some of you came from a Buddhist background, I'm not trying to insult Buddhism or I'm not trying to put down any religion. This is my experience. That I commit myself, I'm not going to bow down to my ancestors or to, to, to the idols. But... It's very difficult because this is a gray area too because I don't want to disrespect my ancestors. Come on. I don't want to disrespect my great-grandfather, great-grandmother by not bowing down and, you know, holding the incense. Uh, I don't know how many of you here, uh, you know, came from a Buddhist family. So you have to carry the incense, right? So one time, it's been years, I've never had a Chinese New Year in Indonesia. So I went back from America to one time only. Okay, I've, nev I've never spent uh, Chinese New Year in Indonesia, but at that one time, I flew back. And I could smell, my mom is preparing the altar, you know, to worship the gods, to worship the ancestors. They have incense being burned. And I was like, I was struggling, to be honest with you. You know, I was praying to God, God, I don't want to dishonor my parents. I don't want to get into a fight because I, I seldom go back. This is my once in a lifetime. I don't want to fight. I want to enjoy this moment with my families. But God, I don't want to dishonor you. So with my young mind, I was trying to wrestle with God. I said, God, is it okay? You know my heart. I'm going to honor my parents. I'm going to respect my, my ancestors. I'm going to bow down. But you know my heart. I'm not worshiping them. I'm just doing it to make them happy. Okay? And then God says, honor me and I will honor you. Kind of vague, isn't it? <laughs> honor me as I honor you, God. There is a situation I have to face in a few hours. Give me some practical solution, okay? The Lord never spoke that night. How many of you have ever prayed to God and God never spoke again? I'm like, ah, you know? So the next morning, I woke up very early in the morning and I know the battle is real because I could smell the incense smell, the burning smell, all the smell. Okay, I get out from my room and my mom look at me and they say, everyone, go take a shower and come out and do the ceremony. I'm like, oh, you know, some people told me, it's like, I think it's better to violate first than to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> what an advice is that? Like, it's okay. Do your violation first. It's easier to ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> I have that in my mindset, you know, in the beginning. So I took a shower. I tried to shower very slowly. I prayed in the shower, oh God, I don't want to fight. I really don't want to fight, but I really want to honor you. I know your word. I know my theology. So I get out from my shower. This is, this is real, guys. You can ask my mom, okay? I went forward to the, to the altar, getting ready to, to do whatever that my mom loves <laughs> so that I can respect her. I can make everybody happy. And then I approached the table and my mom said, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, am I supposed to worship the ancestors and, you know, take the incense? He said, I thought yesterday you told me that you are not allowed to do these things anymore. Really? I've never told my mom that. I don't want to argue with my mom. I've, I've not spoken. So I was confused. I'm like, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm lost too. I like, who in the world argue with my mom? 
I was like, uh, yeah. He said, then go. Don't do this. I was shocked. Honor me and I will honor you. And then as I was leaving the altar, my dad, those of you who have heard story of my dad, scary. Okay. My dad is a typical Asian dad. Very scary. And I don't want to get into a fight with him. Get a fight with him, I'm done, you know, because I had a lot of fight with him. He came and approached the altar, and I was watching him. This is, I was walking away, he was walking to the altar, and my mom gave the incense to my dad, and my dad hit my, my, the incense, and he said, no, it stinks. <gasps> that is huge, <laughs> okay? My dad will never in his life Unless he wants to be cursed and he wants to die, he will ever dare to say that in front of our ancestors. But God says, honor me and I will honor you. So today, the question is not whether it is legal, it is illegal. It is acceptable or unacceptable. The, the question is, am I honoring God? Because God will honor you. Okay, so there are three principles I want to share with you very quickly when we navigate gray areas. I have a lot of these stories, guys, and I can't tell you all of it, but that is a very life-defining moment for me. I'm, I'm, I was very young at that time, and I, I'm speechless when I saw all these things. And uh, years later, you know, a few years later, both my mom and my dad received Jesus. Everybody said, hallelujah, amen. Number one. Three principles when navigating gray area. Number one, our decision making needs to be based on love, not the law. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 3, we, we learn just now that we can have the knowledge. We can understand what the city allows you to do or not allow you to do. But it's not about what the city or the government allows you to do or not to do. But what did God say in His word? We honor God. We don't need to understand about the legality. We need to understand the scripture. You guys get it, right? Our love for God and for people should be the ultimate guide for making ethical decisions. Knowledge, law, rules are not enough to make this gray area's decision. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge alone often leads to pride and justification. While love leads to salvation, not only for you, but it could be also for your family and for your friends. Come on. Are you listening? Here's an example. Okay? And this, is, this could be a practical one. He says, a lot of times when we are put in these gray areas or sketchy situation, our lens to make those decisions should be like this. Okay? He says, does the Bible... Our lens to make decisions are our knowledge, not our knowledge. I'm sorry, not our knowledge. This is the no. He said, don't ask this question. He says, does the Bible explicitly forbid this action? Sometimes the Bible might not specifically address those actions. Like maybe some of you know, I used to be slave to tobacco. I love to smoke. Just a few days ago, people asked, like, how, many, how much? Pastor Kismet, you're the one who asked me, how much is a pack of cigarettes? He's such a good boy. He doesn't even know how much is a pack of cigarettes. 
So he asked me, how much is a pack of cigarettes? Well, I don't know now. But when I was still a heavy smoker, uh, it was about $4 a pack, okay? And, and I, I smoked on a good day, maybe like one pack in every day, in every other day. Okay, I'm not that bad, okay? I'm not that bad. Every two days, I smoke one pack, okay? In a bad days, yeah, one pack, okay? But as cigarettes get more expensive, maybe every three days, one pack. Just have to be safe here. <laughs> but the Bible never say, I cannot smoke. I never see in the Bible. But when I receive Jesus, the Word of God transformed my lives. And cigarettes, I know cigarettes wasn't good for me and for my, others, for my friends and families. I make a decision not because the Bible said so. I make the decision because of my love for God. Husband, we don't sleep around with other women not because the, the law said so. Because that wasn't right, right? If you say, oh, I don't want to have an affair because I'm scared of getting caught by the law. I don't think that should be the reason why you don't have an affair. Don't you agree? I don't want to have an affair because of my love for my wife. Not because I'm scared of getting caught. So you don't do things. You say no to things, not because the Bible said so. You don't do those things because the love of God transformed your life. Can you say amen? And then another question that you shouldn't ask. Is this theologically sinful? There is nothing wrong with, you fill the blank, because the Bible never says so. Or the question is, this is legal in my state. It's not against the law. And therefore, I can fill in the blank. That shouldn't be your question. But instead, the question should be this. It says, is this a loving thing to do for others and for myself? How will this affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? How will non-believers perceive my lifestyle? Will this cause others to stumble? Come on, I give you time. Take out your, your, uh, take out your phone. Take a picture of this. Because when you are in that sketchy situation, tell your friend, hold on. Then ask the question, is this a loving thing to do for others? Hmm. How will this affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? Hmm. How will non-believers perceive my lifestyle? Hmm. Will this cause others to stumble? Once you can answer this question, I think it's easy to navigate the gray areas. Amen? Number two. Although our theology is correct, our action needs to be other-centered and not self-centered. I think for this generation, this requires discipline to be able to be thinking of other people. Okay? I know. Because you guys are taught selfie. Everything is about me. Me, myself, and I. First Corinthians 8, verse 4. It says this. So then, what about fill in the blank? We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. That there is no God but one. For even if they are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. That is a correct theology. You and I might have the same theology. Oh yeah, I don't serve idols. I don't worship idols. I only have one God. 
But it's not about your theology. It's about how you react to that theology that will bless other people, other centered. Continue reading in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4 to 8. He says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. You might understand that, but other people might not understand that. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. Since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But what food does not bring us to God, we are worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Their theology was correct, but their application was wrong. So ask those questions, okay? Is that quite practical? I wish I had those questions when I was struggling in my bedroom how to connect with my mom, okay? Number three, it is better to give up our rights than to harm other believers. In 1 Corinthians again, verse 9 to 13, he said, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. I know in America, it's very difficult because it's all about my rights, my self-rights. But the Lord says, be careful that your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you and with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge, by your action, by your lifestyle, by your choices. When you sin against them in a way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. It's a very hard preaching. He said, I will never eat meat again. To those of you who know me, this is not me. This is the Holy Spirit. Okay? <laughs> so, there's a few things I want to say before we close. He said, don't assert our freedom in the expense of other people. Jesus did not die for our rights. He died for people. Always value people over our own privileges. Just like the TSA line. We sacrifice. We throw that venti latte for the sake and benefit for other people. Our first question when we are faced with a gray area situation should not be what does my knowledge permit, but what does love require? Your first instinct to rationalize what you want to do is not to ask what is allowed, what is legal. Your first instinct as brothers and sisters is to ask what is the most loving thing to do. Galatians chapter 5. I want to read this in a, a congru- uh, two, two, uh, two translation combined into one, okay? Because it makes a lot of sense. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 to 10. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. He says this. You were running the race so well. My brothers and sisters, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching, this false teaching is like a little yeast. Remember last week I talked about yeast? If you want to listen to last week's 
preaching or sermon, you can go back to our website, ifjeffseattle.org, and you can listen to last week's preaching, okay? It talks about this, this false teaching. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. So come on, brothers and sisters. Let us not be the one who confuse other people. Let us be clear in our faith. Let us be clear in how we honor God. Verse 13, and I'm going to switch to MSG version in verse 13. It says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Can you say, let us serve one another in love. Let us be other-centered. Can you say, other-centered? Other-centered. That's how freedom grows when we learn to think about other first. Can you say amen? Okay, let's all stand. I want to remind you again the question, okay? I think this question, man, I wish I had that when I was younger, you know? Uh, Michelle, can you show the question again? Again, if you did not have a chance to take a photo, <laughs> now is your chance to take a photo. <laughs> or you can post it on Instagram. I don't care. It will help people anyway. So the question we should ask ourselves when we are in that gray areas, in that sketchy situation, is to say this, is this a loving thing to do for others? How will this affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? How will non-believers perceive my lifestyle? Will this cause others to stumble? I know, hey guys, I understand. I am not a pastor that lives inside this building, okay? I also have a business. I go out too. So I have to deal with people. I still remember when I was working in a, in a high-tech company in Bellevue. We like to hang out, you know. Uh, my, my co-workers, we like to hang out. And my God, they not only they are wasting their money, but man, they can drink. Man, some of my co-workers, they can, like in one sitting, they can drink like 10 glasses of alcohol mixed with hot liquor and beer. In my mind, I was like, wow, that is expensive. I need to save money. Okay. Number two, I said, I'm trying. I'm trying to reach out to my co-workers. I'm trying to share with them the gospel. What is the loving thing to do? So the first few times, peer pressure. It's kind of hard because everybody is drinking and they're offering me. And sometimes I say, you know, I say, oh no, I, I, I don't feel like it. And then they, like, they tease me, you know, they, they always make fun of me. Sometimes they buy me. It's free. But I want to give you another tips, another hints. I think consistent message is also very important for your co-workers. If you are consistent in answering your question, the question, they will back off. Because I've done it week after week. You know, at first I was like, I, I don't want it. Sometimes I, you know, then I said, you know what? I only have one consistent words that I tell them. Iwan, would you like me to buy you around? 
I'm good, bro. Thank you. Next week, Irwan, do you want some vodka? I'm good, bro. Thank you. Then next week, Irwan, do you want, you know, whatever it is, the name, I say, I'm good, bro. Thank you. By the fourth week, they never ask again. Like, you want seven up? Just say, I'm good, bro. You don't even have to explain. I just say, I'm good, bro. Hey, Irwan, do you want to take this shot? I'm good, bro. Thank you. Give them three weeks. They will, they will understand. So, CZ, just say, I'm good, bro. Can you say it with me? I'm good, bro. Thank you. Don't forget to say thank you, though. After all, they offered you something. Or, hey, I'm good, sis. Thank you. Three weeks in a row. Then they will start offering you seven ups. Okay. So guys, again, I'm not trying to create some sort of rules, laws, do's and do's. It's not about that. I'm always thinking about the people around us. I'm always thinking about their lives. I'm always thinking of bringing them to have an encounter with Jesus. You know, talking back about that, that high-tech company that I work with, my husband, the president of the company is Jewish. The wife is Catholic. So it's a lot of conflict, religious conflict in, in the church, you know, in, the, in the workplace. So I don't have the liberty to speak the gospel openly. But, but, when you are other-centered, God will give you divine a moment, divine intervention, divine opportunity for you to be a blessing to them. But you must have the, uh, the honorable background to do that, right? Let me give you an example. I know you guys are standing. Let me give, give me one minute, okay? You know, my, my boss, my boss, the, uh, my direct boss, she is a mean lady, okay? Everybody in the company hates her. She's, she yell at people. She like abuse people. So I was very scared. And God is very gracious. God put me next to her. My office is directly next to her. Man, every day I come to work, I'm like, oh, just kill me now. But one day she came to my office. She closed the door. I, my heart dropped. I literally thought that she's going to fire me that day. Say, Irwan, help me. Help me. I'm like, sure, sure. What's going on? He said, I just found out that my sister was pregnant and the baby was diagnosed Down syndrome. He said, Irwan, I heard. I heard you talk to, uh, you know, to uh, another co-worker that your God can heal. Your God can do miracle. Please pray for my sister and ask your God to do miracle. Come on, guys. I'm still young, okay? I was only 22, 23 years old. I was like, yes! My God can do miracle. Baby, normal. I will pray. She was so relieved. She said, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. She left. I cried. I'm like, why am I so stupid? I don't know if my God can heal or can do miracle. Oh, man. I'm going to be fired. So I lift up prayer 
not because I have faith, but I have fear that I will be fired. So I said, God, I, be- I trust you. I honor you. In Jesus' name, baby, born normal. Months later, my boss, boss, the president of the company, walking very fast, coming to my office, slamming the door. I'm, I'm like, immediately, immediately I know what this is about. I am going to be fired because the baby was born Down syndrome. He said, Irwan, I'm bringing you news from California. Loretta is in California. She just called me and she wants me to personally come to you to say this. Uh, she, as he was talking, I'm packing my table, getting ready, you know. <laughs> he said, oh my goodness, Irwan, the baby was born early this morning and he was Come on. It's not about us. It's not about whether we can do or we cannot do, whether it's legal or not legal. God is putting you to be a blessing for other people. So we got to be thinking in our lifestyle, is this the loving thing for our brothers and sisters? I have a Russian co-workers, very annoying. Because whenever she comes to my office, I lost one hour of my time. Because she starts talking about her daughter, talking about her father-in-law, her husband, you know, she starts gossiping. So one day she came to my office, I have a book. And the book is called The Father Connection. I think by Josh McDowell. She came, she wants to gossip, and she looked at the book, she's like, Oh my goodness, Irwan, are you that desperate? I was 22 years old, I was like, Do you really want to, have, to be a father? I said, You don't even have a girlfriend. How can you, find, how can you be a father? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This book is not about me being a father, but this book is talking about a fatherless generation that we are in today in America. Even though our father lives with us, but there is no connection with our fathers. There is brokenness. And she starts crying. And she said, you know what, Irwan, you are very right. I'm 30, at that time she was 32 years old, 35 years old. He said, I've lived with my father for 35 years. My father is still living with me at home, but I don't know him, he doesn't know me. We hardly talk, we hardly go out, we hardly communicate. We have no connection, you're right. I said, oh, I'm sorry, Elena. And he said, but the saddest thing is that last week, my father was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and she has four to seven months to live. I said, man, God gave me 35 years and I've wasted it. Guess how I respond? 22 years old. I say, Elena, my God can heal your father so that you will have years to connect with your father. Do you believe that? And she's like, are you serious? Yes. My father, your, my heavenly father can heal your earthly father. Say, even if I'm not a believer, even if he's not a believer, doesn't matter my God can heal please pray for me so that I have time so we pray in that office I prayed over her in that office when my I, I was single when I prayed for her okay when my son was in elementary school my youngest son in elementary school I'm I still saw the grandfather walking the the granddaughter because the granddaughter is actually in the same school as my son I prayed healing over the father when I was single. Doctor said four to seven months. 
10, 12 years later, the father is still walking the granddaughter. Come on. We are being called into the workplace. We are being called into the society. It's not for only for you. Not only for your selfish desire, but it's for other people. I want to pray. If just now there are any evidences of early warning addiction that you have, maybe you are struggling with whatever you are struggling. It could be drugs, or like me, it could be tobacco, or to some others, it could be gambling. You are losing money and you are going back to casino over and over. Or it could be pornography, or whatever that slave enslave you. I pray that there will be breakthrough tonight, this morning. But I want you to be honest. I want you to be open. I want to say, God, heal me. Set me free, Lord. Set me free in Jesus' name. Just like my, that little in year one, 20-something years ago. Today, I want to say that same brave, bold statement. My God can heal you. My God can set you free. Come on. Come on. Would you, would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that this morning... Your word is clear. Yes, sometimes the Bible never say things that are prohibited. Or even sometimes the city law or the government law never say things to be prohibited. But we as Christians, we are called for a higher purpose, higher calling. Because we are being used to change and transform the life of others. We are no longer ourselves, but we are for you, Jesus. Therefore, to this morning, Father God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling. You are a slave to these substances. You are a slave to this type of lifestyle. I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing in the name of Jesus. Oh yes, there will be breakthrough in the name of Jesus. That God, you will set them free from any of this enslavement of these substances. Could it be drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, gambling or whatever that enslave you you'll be set free in the name of jesus open up your hearts right now and receive god's boldness receive god's working in you because our god is a miracle working god and he is still working in you right now in the name of jesus oh yes there is healing oh there is healing i believe it i believe it people are being transformed right now in the name of jesus the word of god is working through you and changing you from the inside out thank you so much lord we praise you, we honor you, and we know, Father God, today, there is breakthrough happening around us. In Jesus' name. Let's all lift our hands up. Thank you so much, Lord, for the, the word of God today. I know it's a lot to take in, but I pray that the Holy Spirit give us understanding. As we depart from here, give us eyes that follows your heart so that we can see the needs of others around us, so that we can love them, we can care for them, we can pray over them. We can speak life to them. Jesus, as we depart from here, may we bring the throne of the, uh, the glory of God, Father God, the glory of the Father from here to the people around us. And the grace and the love through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you from today till eternity, till the second coming of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone.